shows up pregnant. And the last thing on Joseph's mind is that the Lord had anything to do with that. And the angel comes to him and says, your wife Mary has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And she is going to bear the Messiah. And you're to call, give him a specific name. His name is to be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Need to say this was a shock to Joseph, but contained in that message of the angel is the true meaning of Christmas. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience primarily, and the purpose of his book is to demonstrate that the Lord Jesus Christ is the coming Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah, anticipating the Messiah, and the purpose of his writing was to say, the Messiah has come, and this is who he is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew begins with this genealogy, and if you're like me, most of the genealogies in the Bible I don't get very excited about. I tend to read through them very quickly or skip over them to try to get on to the narrative. But there is a distinct reason that Matthew gives this very in-depth genealogy. He is trying to prove the lineage of Jesus in that it goes all the way back to Abraham and to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he begins his book with this extensive genealogy to again establish the deity and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes and opens the story with Mary betrothed to Joseph, becoming pregnant by the work, presence, ministry of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, was a miracle. And then again in verse 21, he comes to Joseph, seemingly thinking he's going to put Mary away in a quiet way because of the disgrace that she's brought on him and the family. And the angel says to her, says to him, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we're going to focus on the second half of the verse, for he will save his people from their sins. Three specific questions. Who's going to do the saving? Who is this he? He says his name is going to be Jesus. So who is the he? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Second question. He's going to save. What does it mean for Jesus to save us? What does it mean for the Lord Jesus to save anybody? What is salvation all about? He says that he will save his people from what? From their sins. What is sin? We talk about sin all the time. We sometimes will say, I sin, so-and-so sin, they sinned, etc. Or in our culture today, nobody sins. So what is sin? What does the Bible define as sin? So who is he that's doing the saving? What does it mean to be saved? And what is sin? If you look in your Rocky Mountain Connections, there is this message outline. I invite you to follow along. Now, the whole idea of what he's communicating here is the hope of deliverance. I've been a series of messages on the hope of Christmas. And today we're going to look at the hope of deliverance because salvation is about deliverance. That is the essence of salvation is deliverance. So Jesus is our hope. Who is doing the saving here? He will save his people from their sins. It says that person is Jesus. You're to give him the name Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? 
It literally means in the Greek language, Jehovah or the personal name of God, Yahweh, is salvation. In other words, His name means He is salvation. He is deliverance. Jesus came to deliver. The way Jesus works in our lives is to deliver. The whole salvation experience, we Baptists love to talk about and sing about being saved. Well, what does it mean to be saved? It means to be delivered. I am delivered from something. I am delivered to someone. Jesus is salvation. I can't ex- emphasize that enough. Because Jesus, excuse me, salvation is not an experience. It is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not some commodity that we carry around with us. I got my salvation. Salvation is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he comes and he says, Joseph, give him the name Jesus, which means that Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation and that personal relationship with him. And the concept of salvation and deliverance in the Bible is that I have been delivered when I came to Jesus. I am being delivered every day. And I will fully and completely be delivered when I am in His presence someday in heaven. So it is past, it is present, and it is future. And I emphasize that because so many times we just talk about salvation in the past tense. Well, I got saved on this particular day at this particular church or this particular place. And that's all true. But salvation doesn't begin and end on that day. It's just getting started good when you trust Jesus as your Savior. So many believers are missing a daily experience of deliverance, let alone a future deliverance, because they focus exclusively on that initial experience of salvation. Now, what does it mean for Him to be our Savior? It means that He has the power to take out sin. His holy blood means that He has the power to erase sin, cleanse sin, and take out sin. Folks, His blood can do what no other can do. One of our folks was sharing with me the other week that they sat down the other morning and were drinking a cup of coffee and spilled coffee all over their white carpet. Some of y'all know what the experience of that is. We had white carpet in a house a number of years ago. And one thing I discovered about white carpet, it shows every stain. It only took one experience with white carpet to, you know, say, I'm going to back away from that. So the lady was telling me that she used everything in the book to try to get it out. Bought all kinds of stuff, could not get it out. And then someone told her to get a bar of soap and just rub the wet soap on it. And she said, you know, I got that bar of soap and started wiping that soap on. I think it was ivory. And the coffee came right out of the carpet. Simple household thing, and that took care of it. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning so the next time you drop coffee on your carpet, you'll know how to get it off? Well, folks, we can try everything under the sun to get the stain of sin out of our lives, but only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to remove sin from our lives and the results of sin from our lives and it's so simple and it's so basic and we tend to miss it 
So we tend to work overtime and use everything in the book to try to get the power of sin out of our lives when the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is what has the power to remove sin from our lives. He's got the power to take out the results of sin and the presence of sin in our lives. His resurrection means He has the power to deal with sin. We don't have that power. Only He's got that power. The reason He can save is because He rose from the dead and His resurrection is a huge statement of His power to take out sin because He faced all, all of our sin on the cross and took it out. When He powerfully came through the experience of death and rose again from the dead, proof that He was God's Son, He will save His people from their sins. Now, so often we associate and understand Jesus' work in our lives and saving us in that we go out and we've sinned and we sin. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. And Jesus steps in and He cleanses us from the sin. And that's how He saves us. And that's true. But Jesus didn't come just to run around and do damage control in our lives. When it says that He's going to save us from our sins, it's not just that we go out and we sin and we say, Jesus, would you forgive me and cleanse me? And Jesus runs in and does a cleanup job. The idea of Him saving us from our sins is saving us from doing the sin in the first place. And so this idea that He saves us from our sins is that He works in our lives in order to keep us from sinning in the first place. In John's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 46, the officers who were around Jesus answered and said, No one ever spoke like this man. And it was the idea that Jesus taught with authority. And what he's trying to communicate, they were trying to communicate is, man, when we listen to him teach, he doesn't teach and speak like anyone else. Jesus comes into our lives not just to do damage control in our lives, but he comes into our lives to teach us and to instruct us how to live so that if we will listen to him and obey him, we won't screw up till he has to do the damage control. Jesus wants to do so much more in our lives than run around and try to undo the mess as we create. What He wants to do in our lives is walk into our lives and say, okay, I'll do some damage control to get you where you need to be, but I've got a life for you I want you to live. I've got a work I want to do in you and through you. I've got a destiny for your life where I want to take you and just roll with the punches, move with me, live with me. This is so much more than just you sin, I cleanse you, you go back and sin again, I cleanse you, and we just repeat that process over and over and over again. To go back to the car party illustration, he's trying to say, I want to do something more in your life than just clean up the stuff you spill on the carpet of your life. I want you to walk with me and to see what I want to do in your life. That is that idea of him saving us from our sins. He works within us and gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us out of the sin in the first place. He wants to create within us a desire inside of us where we don't want to sin, but rather we want to follow Him and serve Him and walk with Him and live in vital relationship to Him. So, who is it that's going to save us? Who is this He? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the salvation. He is the deliverance. A relationship with Him is where the deliverance is 
And He is able to do all that He does in our lives because His resurrection means that He is the Son of God. Jesus was raised from the dead as God's way of approving everything that He had said and done. His resurrection means He's got the power to save and the power to change us. Now, what's He saving us from? It says He's saving us from our sins. What in the world is sin? Everybody got a different, different definition of sin. What is sin? Let's talk about some basic sins. First, pride. Perhaps all sin can be traced to pride. I'm my own person. I don't need God. I can do my own thing. Which leads to the second expression of sin, disobedience. I just go out and live my life the way I want to without Him. And it's not just disobedience in the sense of specifically being disobedient over particular things that the Lord tells me to do or not do. It's just a general attitude of disobedience. And then ingratitude. Ingratitude. I think if there is perhaps any issue that we tend to struggle with more than any other at times, it's just ingratitude. Just stopping and thanking the Lord for anything that He's done and He's given us. When was the last time we had a good thank you session with God? Lord, thank you for what you've done. Years ago, when I was first getting started in the ministry, I was in a pastor's conference at First Baptist Norfolk. And at that time, Dr. Charles Fuller was the pastor of First Baptist Roanoke. And he was speaking at that pastor's conference. And he shared a story with us that has just lodged in the back of my brain. He was, said he was on a mission trip in the Philippines. And after a full day of ministry, he laid down to go to bed that night in a uh, sort of a, like a thatched cabin or whatever out there in the back areas of the Philippines. He was laying in the bed and he began to think about Jesus and how Jesus saved him. And he says, as I laid in the bed that night and I began to think about Jesus saving me, he said, I begin to cry. And then he looked around the room at all of us pastors and he said, guys, when was the last time you shed any tears over Jesus saving you? He said, we talk about everything we want God to do for us, but when was the last time you shed some tears in appreciation? He said, you know, Jesus saving you is the greatest thing. He said, the calling to the ministry is just like icing on the cake, being able to serve a church. But he said, being saved by Jesus is the greatest thing that can ever happen to you. And how often I have looked in my own life and found myself, God, why don't I have this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you give me this? Instead of just saying, Lord, I just want to thank you this day that you saved me. That you cleansed me. That you took away my sin. And that I can have a relationship with you. I mean, it don't get any better than that. You know, it really doesn't. At the end of this life, that's all that's going to matter. And every day, that's, the, that's just really all that matters is that we've got that relationship with Him. And ingratitude is the, the this is sort of a root of sin. Gratitude takes us in the other direction. What is sin? Sin is not just an act. 
If we talk about sins, what will most of us do? We talk about an act. Well, I did this or I did that. But you see, the idea in the Bible of sin is not just specific acts that we carry out. It is a direction of life. It is an inclination in the way we live. In other words, I get up in the morning and I basically live my life that day like the Lord doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way, play my own games, and God doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it. I don't even bother to acknowledge Him or seek Him. I just go out and do my own thing without bothering to seek the Lord. It is that sense that that's the direction of my life and the inclination of my life. Sin is a willful declaration that I am independent of God. I don't want the Lord in my life, etc. Now, the Bible in Luke chapter 15 gives three pictures of what sin looks like and how it operates in our lives. First of all, these are parables or stories that Jesus told. The first is the story of the lost coin. And this is how he, Jesus pictured sin. This lady had a whole bunch of coins. And she lost one of them. Couldn't find it anywhere. The coin was lost from the owner. The coin was no good and lost its value separated from its owner and was of no value to the owner. And what Jesus, I think, is trying to say to us in this story of the lost coin is that when we don't know Him and what it means to be lost, what it means to be without Jesus, what it means to be in sin is not just the specific acts of sin. It's that sense that we cannot discover and live out the value of our lives apart from Him. That we cannot be used of Him and in His hand when we are separated from Him. The second story in Luke's gospel that pictures sin is the lost sheep. And in this particular case, you have a shepherd. And the shepherd has a sheep that has wandered away from the flock and is in a place of danger and is in a place where it's about to, to really get hurt. And the shepherd has to go looking after the sheep. And what Jesus is saying here is that sin is about being separated from our shepherd. That we think we can live our lives without him and be pretty much okay. And yet when we wander away from him, we put ourselves in a place without even realizing it. That we're going to get hurt and damaged in life. Separated from our shepherd, fully exposed to danger. The third story he tells towards the end of Luke 15 is the story of the lost son. And in this case, you have a dad who has two sons, and the younger son comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I don't like living in this home anymore. I don't like your rules. I don't like you. I went out of here. I went out of you. I went out of this family. So I'm packing my bags. I'm going out the door. Give me my inheritance, and I am history. And so the, with a sad heart, the dad gives him his inheritance, and he marches on out the door to go live his life and do his thing, and he ends up in a pigsty, literally feeding pigs for a job. And Jesus is trying to say in this story, what does it mean to sin? What does it mean for us to live in sin? It is the idea that the relationship with Him is broken. You see, what He's trying to say in all three of these incidents, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, is that the essence of sin is not the act. It is what the act produces. And the act produces a broken, lost relationship with Him. We tend to look at sin and say, well, I screwed up and it's got all this mess that needs to be corrected in my life. And Jesus, could you do damage control? God looks at sin. And when he talks about he, Jesus is going to come and save us from our sins, it's the idea that he's coming to restore the relationship with God.
That is what grieves the heart of God about sin more than anything else is that the relationship with Him has been fractured, has been broken, and we are separated from Him. The sin, I want to be my own God. I make a declaration that I'm going to be independent of God. So that's what He's saving us from. He will save His people. Now, what does it mean when it says He will save? As I said earlier, the concept of salvation throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, throughout the entirety of the Bible, is deliverance. I'm being delivered from something, and I am being delivered to something. I am being delivered from someone, and I am being delivered to someone. Don't just emphasize what I'm leaving. It is just as much, if not more, what I am being delivered to. Now, it says He will save us He will deliver us from sin. He's going to deliver us to the Lord Jesus Christ to live under His Lordship. You see, a lot of times we want the sin taken out, the guilt taken out, and all the rest, but we're not so sure we want His Lordship. He says He will save How does He save? He saves us by His teaching ministry. We listen to Him. We obey Him. And in that, He's saving us. Knowing Jesus as my Savior is about listening to Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, and serving Jesus. It's not just about Jesus coming in and cleaning me up. That's where it gets started. It's about listening to Him, loving Him, following Him, and serving Him. If you have and feel like in your life you've claimed that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior... But you've never had a real sense of you don't want sin in your life. And you've never been at that place to really have a desire to love Him and serve Him and walk with Him. Then I think you have just cause to question whether you really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. One of the things that concerns me, folks, that we... Baptists and evangelicals have done for years is we've encouraged people to accept Christ. And we put so much emphasis on them praying what we call a sinner's prayer. And I understand what we're trying to say by that, that you need to pray to trust Christ as your Savior. But you see, salvation is not just about getting a get-away-from-hell-free card. It is not just about, I'm not going to get punished. I don't know about you, maybe you all were better children than I was a child, but when I, my parents told me not to do something or I was supposed to do something, particularly when they told me I wasn't supposed to do something, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to do the very thing they told me I wasn't supposed to do. And then after I did it, I had two concerns. Number one, that I would not get caught. And number two, if I got caught, that the punishment wouldn't be bad. 
Now, maybe I'm the only kid that ever grew up that way, all right? But I was always concerned, was I going to get caught? And if I got caught, how much trouble was I going to get into? That was my concern. What I was not really that concerned about was the broken relationship and trust with my parents. That rarely ever crossed my mind. I was just concerned, I'm going to get caught. And if I do so, what would I do if I got caught? Well, the first thing I would do is deny that I had done what I knew I had done. Or try to blame it on somebody, particularly my sister. She was four years younger than me. I wish I had a younger brother because it's a whole lot easier to blame a guy than it is a girl. You know, I could just never get away with the blame game that I tried on that. But that was my first concern that I would do. I would just blame it on her or blame it on somebody. And then try to weasel my way out of anything that I would get in terms of punishment. But what I did not do was focus on, man, the relationship with my parents I've broken the trust level here. I've screwed up in that area. I need to do something. I need to apologize. I need to re- find a way to reconstruct the relationship. That's what I wasn't worried about. And a lot of times that's what we're doing with God. We're coming to Him and we're saying, Lord, could you make sure that I don't get punished a whole lot? And Lord, could you make sure that, you know, it's really, I didn't do this, but it's really somebody else's fault that I did this. We're not concerned about the relationship being restored. Salvation is about the relationship. It's not about how good we can do of getting off the hook. It is about the relationship being restored with the Lord God. And so if I've prayed the sinner's prayer, if I've said I'm saved, etc., etc., but I really don't have any relationship, don't have any real desire to know Jesus and walk with Jesus and serve Jesus. I just want to make sure that I don't get punished for my sins and I don't go to hell when I die, but I really don't care beyond that. I've got just cause to ask, did I really have a genuine salvation experience? If you follow Jesus, when Jesus walked up to people, what did He say to them? He didn't look and walk up to people and say, hey, I'll get you out of hell. He didn't say, I'll get you off the hook with God. He said, follow me right now. This is not just about you going to heaven and getting out of hell. This is about you knowing me and following me and becoming like me right now. And what did they do? They dropped what they were doing and they didn't wait till they died to start following him. They didn't wait till they got to certain. They just dropped what they were doing and they started following Jesus right then. That is the idea of salvation. That is being delivered to Him to know Him and love Him and follow Him. In His teaching ministry, listening to Him, learning from Him, wanting to learn from Him is a huge part of how He saves us every day. Now, He saves us from the power of sin. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He, speaking of Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion, the power the reign, the control of darkness. And He has transferred us to the kingdom, the reign, the lordship of His beloved Son. You see what He's saying there? He's He's delivered us from the power and the domain and the rule of darkness in our lives. And He's transferred us, delivered us to the rule and the reign of His beloved Son. 
One of the things that early on I found that I struggled with in understanding salvation is I wanted Jesus to save me, cleanse me, set me free, and make sure I didn't go to hell. But then when it came to this business about Jesus being Lord of my life, I wasn't too sure about that. Because I had ideas about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, etc. But you cannot separate the Lordship of Christ from salvation. I can't look at Jesus and say, save me, but I don't really want your lordship in my life. I either take all of Jesus or I don't take any of Jesus. But I can't sit there and have a cafeteria approach to who Jesus is. Because it says here that what he does is he delivers us from the domain, the power, the rule of darkness in our lives. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What does it mean to be in his kingdom? It means I'm his subject and he's my king. I'm his subject and he's my king. I don't call the shots anymore. Jesus calls the shots in my life. And He works in me that I want Him to lead and guide and work in my life. And He works in me that there are days, folks, when He'll say, I want you to do this and I want you to be that, and we don't feel like it, but we choose to do it because love often means that we make some choices that we don't necessarily want to make, but we, out of love we make it. I don't always have ooey-gooey, wonderful feelings inside of me about serving the Lord. There are some days I just say, Jesus, you ask this of me, you get it because my job is to be obedient to you. I love the obedience. I don't necessarily love the feeling of obedience right now, but I love you and I'm going to serve you because of it and I'll let the obedience catch up. I mean, the feelings catch up when they catch up. But I'm going for it anyway, Lord. His work in our lives... Again, going back to that stories that he gave in Luke 15. We're the lost sheep. And what happened with the lost sheep? When the shepherd went there, he picked up the sheep. Luke 15 put the sheep around his neck. And he carried that sheep to the place of safety. What he does in us is he picks us up and he carries us to the place of his safety. That's that idea of salvation. The lost coin story. When the lady swept through the house, searched all through the house, and she found the lost coin, she was so excited about it. But follow me, the coin got its value because it had been found by the master, by the owner. We discover our value in his hands, not in our hands. And you see, when the coin was back into the hands of the master, she could spend it any way she wanted. When I'm in his hands, he's got the right to spend my life any way he wants to spend my life. And please find, hear this. When Jesus talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep, it was the shepherd and it was the owner who went after that which was lost and found it. What is Jesus trying to say to us? He's trying to say to us when it, what it means to be lost is I got to come after you and I got to find you. If I offend you when I'm about to say, just go home and chew on this. But it drives me nuts when I hear gospel songs and people talk about how they went searching for the Lord. None of us on our own goes searching for God. He searches for us. He comes after us. That's what Jesus was trying to say in these stories. There's an old hymn, Victory in Jesus. And there's a line in that that I just love. It says, He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. We didn't go running after Him. He came running after us. He sought us 
And he bought us with his redeeming blood. What is the other thing he does in salvation? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities in our lives. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I want to read that one more time. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is he trying to say to us? He's trying to say to us, listen, the power of sin in your life is a ruler in your life. It is an authority in your life. And Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection triumphed over every power and authority of sin in your life. I don't have to be in bondage to any sin. I don't have to be in bondage to any addiction. I don't have to be in bondage to any power that Satan would send into my life because Jesus already triumphed over it. What I've got to learn to do is live in a victory that Jesus Christ already achieved. Too many of us are trying to achieve a victory on our own instead of living in the victory that Jesus Christ already achieved. That's what He's called us to do. Let me illustrate what I'm trying to say this way. This is going to be a ridiculous illustration, but just follow me on this, okay? On July the 4th, we celebrate Independence Day. And the reason we celebrate Independence Day is because... On July the 4th, we declared our independence from England. And the forefathers of this country began to live, think, and act like they were independent of England. Now, how about if some British, dear British citizen walked up to you on July the 4th and said, or any day, you're not independent of England. You're still a subject of the British monarchy. And you need to, to pay up to the British monarchy. And you just need to start acting and talking like a British subject. And you started listening to them. And you started paying your taxes to the British monarchy. And you started looking up to the Queen of England as the person who you were subject to. Now that might be ridiculous. But folks, let me tell you what we tend to do. Satan gets right up in our ear and he begins to whisper stuff to us. You belong to me. You got to do what I'm telling you to do. You can't break free from this. You're in bondage to me. This is the authority in your life. This addiction is the authority in your life. This particular sin is the authority in your life. Pride is the authority in your life. Fear is the authority in your life. And we start listening to that. And we start acting like that's the authority. Because we are listening to Him, we're not listening and living in the reality that He has set us free. Folks, our Independence Day is Resurrection Sunday. Our Independence Day is Resurrection Sunday. Because He rose from the grave three days later when He walked out of there that day alive and healthy and victorious. That is our Independence Day. 
Jesus defeated it all, walked out victorious, and my job in salvation is simply to live in the victory He achieved for us on the cross and in His resurrection. And that's why Easter is not just about one Sunday out of the year. It is about 52 Sundays out of the year. It is about every day. The nativity doesn't mean anything without the empty tomb. The cross doesn't mean anything without the empty tomb. Lord, if there's a way we could find to do it, I understand why we put crosses in our churches and on our steeples, and I'm all in favor of that, but I wish there was a way we could put an empty tomb somewhere around our churches and look at that on a regular basis, because that tells us He's alive, He's victorious, and that is the victory that we walk in. And that's what He's achieved for us. That is our Independence Day. Last story, Luke 15, the lost son. He comes to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go back home. And I wonder if my dad will even have time for me. And as he's making his way back down the road, smelling like a pig, looking like a pig, the whole bit, eating like a pig. And I don't mean a lot of food, you know, just the mess they eat. The dad sees him, been waiting for him, runs to him, grabs him, hugs him, and brings him into the house and throws a party. That son went from looking to the home to being inside of the home. And God's message to us when he says, I'm going to save you from sin is you don't have to stand on the outside and look in anymore. The door's open. I'm there to welcome you and bring you in and hug you. And you're going to be inside my home and my family. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ is our salvation. That Jesus, you came as the Son of the living God, with the holy blood in your veins, with resurrection power coursing through you to save us, to deliver us, not just from our screw-ups and sin, but to deliver us to yourself, that we might belong totally and completely to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us from separation from you and saved us to a relationship with you for what you want to do through us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're listening to this service in any capacity, be it on YouTube, be it on Facebook, our radio ministry, here in this room, And you have never said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, I want to follow you. I will follow you. I choose to follow you. Would you deliver me from my sin to you? I want to encourage you to say that to him right now. A simple prayer. Lord Jesus, deliver me into your life, into your hands. Jesus, I will follow you.
thank you, Jesus, for saving me. For making me your own. With our heads bowed, if you've made that decision, could you please let us know so we can encourage you. Get in contact with us through the church website or in person. There are books that we've got here called Living in Christ. We'd love for you to pick one of those up. They're in the entrances to this room. Or you can contact the church and we'll put one in the mail to you. Lord, we bless you and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us. In your name, amen. Let's stand together and sing and let's worship the Lord together. seated. I want to share a number of announcements with you uh, this morning. First of all, uh, we will not have basketball ministry today. The youth have their Christmas party this afternoon from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock this evening. I want to mention that to you. Uh, Christmas Eve service will be this week at 6 p.m. Looking forward to sharing that service of candlelight, the Lord's Supper, and carols with you. That's Christmas Eve at 6 p.m want to say also that our sunshine class is not meeting this Wednesday. 
And then I want to say a particular word of appreciation to you for the many get well cards and Christmas cards that you've sent my mother uh, since she had uh, surgery. I was with her this past uh, Thursday when we met with a radiation doctor. She's got three radiation treatments coming up. She's doing extremely well. But she just kept emphasizing to me how much the cards have meant to her. In fact, we went to the mailbox uh, Thursday afternoon. There were two cards in there from two of our folks. And uh, she just appreciates those cards. And thank you so much for the tremendous encourager, uh, encouragement that you have been to her in sending those cards to her. Uh, again, I can't express enough appreciation to you for that. And I want to say personally, um, as your pastor... I could not be any prouder of you all in the work that you have done this month in just blessing so many people. From the living nativity, uh, through adopting the kids out at Lee Wade and all the gifts that went there, to all the food and gifts that are going to the folks at the middle school. I mean, on and on it goes. Uh, to be in the midst of this pandemic and dealing with everything we've had to deal with this year and to see the outpouring of how you all have risen to the occasion over and over again uh, this year and this Christmas season has just blessed me so much as your pastor. And I just can't say good enough, enough good things about you guys and, and what you've done. God has used you and is using you in such a powerful way to bless people. And thank you for sticking with it this year. Uh, one of the things that I most admire about Rocky Mount Baptist Church is the tenacity of this congregation. Uh, when you all have opposition and problems, you just get kick in there and do a better job than you were doing before the problem started or the whatever, the pandemic or whatever. And I just want to commend you for, for that work and say, God bless you so much for that. I want to close on a little bit of a sad note this morning and ask us to go to the Lord in prayer. I have a very, very good friend in the ministry named Reggie Hester. Reggie is pastor of Pinecrest Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia, and also served with our State Baptist Convention there. Reggie and I got to know each other when I pastored South Norfolk Baptist, and Reggie worked extensively with us with shrimp, helping to get denominational support, being with us out on sites, helping us plan, etc. Uh, yesterday afternoon, he was in North Carolina hunting with his youngest son. He had a heart attack and passed away. And I'd like for us to pray in particular because this morning, in the worship service at Pinecrest Baptist, the people there did not know he's died, and they had to announce this morning that they lost their pastor yesterday. And uh, so we want to be in prayer for Pinecrest Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia, uh, for our state convention, having lost one of our leaders. And um, Reggie was just an awesome guy. I can't say enough good things about him. He had this booming laugh and just a joy to be with and a real servant of the Lord. So let's go to the Lord this morning and let's pray for Pinecrest Baptist Church in Portsmouth. Father, Lord, I've been to Pinecrest on numerous occasions. They're a great church serving you there in Portsmouth. And Lord, this morning they are dealing with not only the news of their pastor's death, but the shock of it. And God, I ask that you would hold that congregation close to yourself. Lord, it's always tough to deal with death, but Christmas season, it seems to be even tougher. And God, I just pray that you would give them comfort, that you would give them strength, that they would have a tremendous sense of your care and your presence with them in these days. And that you will carry them through this that they are your church. And God, we want to pray that, Lord, you would also, Lord, 
give them the hope and the assurance as you give all of us. That for those who walk with you to be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. I pray, Father, for Reggie's family and his son, Lord, in the seminary at Liberty, as well, Lord, as his youngest son who is a junior in high school and a daughter who's grown living in Carolina. And I just pray, God, that you would comfort them and his wife, Lord, as they try to process this. Give them, Lord, the strength that they need. And may they know, Lord, the body of Christ holding them up during this time. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us and your promise never to leave us nor forsake us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now let's stand together and look up on the screen. Jacob's going to be at the doors facing Church Street greeting folks. I'll be here on the side. Let's say our theme verse for 2020, Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. God bless you. We'll see you on Christmas Eve.